you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them up to Romans chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 1 and 2. I'll be reading from the King James Version. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad for your presence, and we'd like to invite you to come back at any opportunity that you have. Before we begin our uh, service, I would like to make one statement. Sister Jan uh, will be visiting in... uh, Sparta, Tennessee this evening, and she's going to be visiting her oldest cousin. His name is Robert Crawford, and he is 98 years old today. And he he served in the 77th Infantry, and uh, the city of Sparta did a story on him last year. So she's going to be going and visiting her her cousin and uh, celebrate his birthday with him, and let's keep her in our prayers as she will be traveling. That's Quite an honor, 98th birthday, and uh, to render the service that he's rendered. Oh, to be like thee. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful thing to try to accomplish, to be like God. But if we're going to do that, we have to change ourselves, don't we? That is a wonderful song to sing prior to the the sermon this morning, Oh, to be like thee, because God requires change if we are going to be like Him. But what does change mean? I guess it all depends on what one is speaking, about what we're talking. What, what, what is the subject? What, what is the idea that we are getting at? We often think of change as something that is hard and not enjoyable. Now, I'll be the first to admit I am not a great fan of change. As many of you know, I have changed my diet. I'm not liking that very much. Uh, It was a 28-day diet, and and I found out last night that it looks like it's going to be longer than 28 days. And so I don't know how I feel about that. We think of change as something that we can't do because it is hard or it's not enjoyable, but the fact of the matter is we change those things that we want to change, don't we? We change what we want to change. We improve what we want to improve. We may make changes physically. We may make changes uh, to improve our health or the way we feel. We make changes when we want to make changes. And we are able to do that. And God expects that. If we're going to be like Him, But what does it really mean when God asks us to change? What's He talking about? Isn't He really talking about growth? Isn't He really talking about becoming what He wants us to become? Coming out of what we are into what we can be? Isn't that really what God is talking about? Can it be said of a person who obeys the gospel and they never grow toward what God wants them to be, they never grow toward being like Him, are they really reaching their potential? Well, they they began with growth, didn't they? 
But then somehow, somewhere along the way, they changed. And they went back to being what they were being. Because if we're not growing in reality, what are we doing? I've got a garden behind my house. And I go out and I look at those plants, and if they're not growing, what's actually happening to them? They're dying, right? They're dying. We have a child, we bring an infant home, and we're looking at that new babe, and and then in, in two weeks or a month or whatever the case may be, if that child isn't growing, what are we going to do? We're going to get to the hospital, aren't we? We're going to go see a physician because something is wrong. We expect that child to grow physically at one time or another. All of God's people have changed. They came from living in sin to walking in the light. That's a change. Let me tell you something. That's a drastic change. That is difficult at times, isn't it? But can we accomplish it? Can we do it? Absolutely we can. We have example after example in our own lives of people who have obeyed the gospel. But what does it mean when when we're growing in grace and we're learning and we're, we're becoming more mature in our spirituality. What exactly does that mean? That means our sense of sin becomes deeper. We become more aware of what God wants and what He does not want. Our faith becomes stronger. Our hope becomes brighter. Our love more extensive. And our spiritual mindedness more marked. That's what growth is, isn't it? Becoming what God wants. But the issue is not whether we can change, but whether we will change. That's the issue at hand, isn't it? Not can I change. Well, trust me, we can change. Sometimes change is simply thrust upon us, isn't it? There's nothing we can do about it. At other times we choose to change. And that's what we must do. Why should we change spiritually speaking? Why ought we to change? Well, the short answer is because of what Christ did for us, right? And He did it not for His betterment, but for our betterment. Notice what He did. Jesus left the glory of heaven and He came to earth in the form of a man, became a man, lived as a man, suffered as a man, enjoyed this life as a man, and He died as a man. He understands. He understands the ups, the downs, the sideways. He knows all about living in this world as we live in this world. Paul commanded this. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, Philippians 2, 5-8, through 8, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't consider it something to hang on to. He said, I am, I'll willingly leave the glory of heaven and come to earth. He said, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. His change was better for us, not for him. 
How did he benefit from his change? Well, he, he loved us and he did what that love fulfilled. But it helped us. There's a story of a, a young woman and her father. One day the, the daughter came to the father and she was complaining about life and she said, you know, life is miserable for me. I don't know if, how I can continue to live in this life. I, I have one problem. I get through the one problem and just as soon as I do that, another one arises. Well, her father, who being a chef, took her into the kitchen and Without saying anything to her, he took three pots, filled them with water, placed them on a hot fire, and waited for them to boil. When the pots began to boil, he took potatoes and put them in one pot. He took eggs and put them in another pot, and then he took ground coffee beans and placed them in the third one. Sitting there, not saying anything, and the the daughter becoming anxious and wanting to know, well, what's going on? For 20 minutes, he was silent. And then after the 20 minutes, he took the pots off of the fire, and he said, now what do we have? Hastily, looking at what was before, she said, potatoes, eggs, and coffee. He said, look closer. He took the potato out, and he laid it down, and he said, touch it. So she touched it. He said, before the potato went into the water, it was hard and strong and unyielding. Now it's weak and soft. He said, touch the egg. She took the egg, she cracked the shell, and after having peeled the shell off, she found a hard-boiled egg. He said, prior to going into the water, the, the egg was weak and soft. Now it's hard. Now what about the coffee? He took the coffee and he poured it into a cup and she smelled the aroma of the coffee and she tasted it. And a smile came on her face and he said, now what do we have? He said, here's the moral of the story. Three things suffered the same problem, the boiling water. Each reacted differently to the water. One became soft and weak. The other became hard. Yet the coffee reacted in a way that changed the situation and made it better. Now what are we going to be? Are we going to be potatoes, eggs, or coffee? How are we going to react to the situations around us? What are we? Change is not easy, but it is necessary. We have to change if we're going to be pleasing to God. But how do we go about doing that? How do we go about changing in the way that God wants us to change? Well, first, we have to change emotionally. Emotionally. Well, how how does that happen? What happens when we change emotionally? Well, what about repentance? What happens when we repent? Notice what Paul said. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but worldly sorrow. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. What is godly sorrow? What exactly is it? That's an emotion that overtakes us when we finally come to the realization, I have not lived like God wants me to live. Does that mean I've been a terrible person throughout my life? No, that's not what that means. That is the case sometimes, isn't it? 
that a person can come from a life of complete and utter moral bankruptcy to coming into the light of God, but that's not always the case. I may be a good and moral and honorable individual, but I haven't been living in accordance to God's will. And I come to realize that, and that hurts me for Him. Have you ever been hurt for someone else? Have you ever seen a child or a family member endure something and it hurts you for them? That's how we ought to feel. That's what godly sorrow is. But Paul talked about two types of sorrow, didn't he? Didn't he mention worldly sorrow? What is that? Oh, worldly sorrow is being sorry. But it's being sorry for being caught, right? I got caught up in something. Boy, I wish I hadn't done that. Do you remember when Judas was sorry for what he did to the Lord? Well, what did he do? He went out and hanged himself. He was sorry because it didn't work out for him. He wasn't sorry for Christ. King Saul was sorry for disobeying God, but he was sorry because he got caught. When we look in 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 19, we see where Saul was ordered to do something. Samuel came to him and he said, you were supposed to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, Saul presented himself as being sorry, but what did Samuel say? You're not sorry. And because of your actions... The kingdom has been taken away from you. We see that in 1 Samuel 15, 26. On the opposite spectrum, we have the Apostle Peter. We remember him, don't we? We remember that as the Lord was being taken to the, to the illegal trials in which he endured, what did Peter do? He denied the Lord, didn't he? Not once, not twice, but he did it three times. The third time he did it with cursing and swearing. He said, I don't know the man. The girl said, wait a minute, you're a Galilean, aren't you? Weren't you with the Christ? And being fearful of his life, he said, I don't know the man. Well, what happened? He denied the Lord that third time. And after having done that, he looked at the Lord. And what came to his remembrance? You remember what the Lord said? Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I think about that a lot, and it's it's hard for me to really comprehend how Peter must have felt. He denied the Lord with cursing and swearing, and he turned his head, and who is he looking at? Who's looking back? Jesus. See, we can't see the Lord physically with our eyes, so sometimes we deny Him or we act inappropriately, but guess what? He's looking right at us. And we ought to be sorry for that. We ought to be hurtful. We change emotionally when we realize that every sin we commit is actually a sin first and foremost against God. Others may be harmed or hurt by our sins. That's the truth, isn't it? You remember David and Bathsheba and the adultery that occurred between the two of them? David sinned against himself. He sinned against Bathsheba. Ultimately, murdered Uriah. But who did he sin against? He sinned against God. We remember when Nathan the prophet came to him and he told him this story about a poor man who owned one little ewe lamb, one little female lamb. But the lamb wasn't like livestock to the man. He was the lamb was almost like a member of the family, wasn't it? Do you remember what how Nathan described this ewe lamb? 
he ate at the man's table. Well, in addition to the poor man, there was a rich man. The rich man had flocks. He had uh, more than he would ever need it, but he was having a visitor come. And he wanted to prepare a feast for the visitor. So what did he do? Well, he didn't go out to his own flock and, and get a meal for the visitor. He stole the poor man's ewe lamb. Killed it. Served it for supper. And when David heard that, he was enraged. He said, the man needs to be punished with death for doing that. And that's when Nathan spoke those famous words, you're the man. You are the man. Do you remember what what God said to David? I had given you all these things. And if you had wanted more, I would have given that to you also. But what did you do, David? You went out and you stole another man's wife. And you had him killed. You are the man. But do you know what? David had a response to that, didn't he? He had the correct response to that. He said, Did I have sinned against the Lord? Well, wait a minute. I thought he killed Uriah. I thought he sinned against himself and Bathsheba. Well, he, he did. But he sinned against God. We're reminded of that prodigal son. There was once a young man who went to his father and he said, I want all that's coming to me on your death. So he took it. He went out and he wasted it with riotous living. But something happened. The Lord said He came to Himself. He came to Himself. You know what that indicates? A person living in sin is not in his right mind. So this young man came to Himself. And he stood up and he said, What what am I doing here? I'm living with the pigs. I would eat what they would eat if my master would let me. So what did he do? What happened? He stood up and he went to his father and he said, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. When we look at these two accounts, we see that the offender knew something for sure. He had sinned against other people, but he sinned primarily against God. When one repents and realizes all sin is against God, that's when the change begins to take place. I hear the gospel. I learn about what Jesus did for me. Where do I learn about that? I have to learn it from the Bible. Tell me something you know about God, Jesus, salvation, that you didn't learn from the Bible. That is accurate. Everything I know about God and what He wants for me, I learn from the Bible. I have to go to the Bible, Romans ten seventeen. Have to repent. That's what we're talking about. Godly sorrow leadeth one to repentance. They're different things, but you can't have one without the other. Repenting is changing my lifestyle, turning to God. Some of us don't have to change that much. Some of us have to change a lot. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did, Acts 8 verse 37. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Going down then into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, Philip baptized him. They came up out of the water and he went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul did? Acts twenty-two sixteen. he had been praying and fasting. Ananias came in, taught him the gospel, and he said, Saul, Saul, why tarriest thou? 
Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts 22, 16. That's what God expects. That's true change, isn't it? And then, of course, living our lives in accordance with what God wants, just like Paul did, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Isn't that what he said? I fought the good fight, I kept the faith. Now I know there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. He said, but not for me only, but to all those who love His appearing, all of us who look forward to His return. Isn't that wonderful? To know that He can come and He's coming for us. Change isn't always easy, but we must change. And we have to change emotionally. We have to understand. We have to realize. We have to repent. But we also have to change mentally. Well, how's that done? How do we change mentally? Well, we begin by clothing ourselves in the armor of God. That's where it starts, isn't it? In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul addressed that very thing. He was telling them and he explained how to behave regarding the Christian lifestyle. He was talking about relationships in this portion of his letter. Husband to wife, parents to children, servant to master, master to servant. All of those relationships, he begins to talk about that. He talks about the way we're able to grow in our behavior toward one another. Notice what he said. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. He said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, he said, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how we begin to change mentally. We clothe ourselves in the Word of God and in His armament. Listen again to Paul's admonition. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how we change. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Are we going to change and be like a potato and an egg? Or are we going to be that coffee that changed the situation? Changed himself. Before we can change that can be seen in the outward man, there has to be a radical change on the inside, the inward man. The wise man said, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Paul saying, stop being conformed to this world. You transform yourself by the renewing of your mind, and we do that through the gospel of Christ, through a study. And that happens to us when we commit ourselves to God. We have to commit ourselves, don't we? We have to work always abounding in the Word of God, and the work, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We have to change our attitudes sometimes, don't we? We have to change our attitudes toward worship. We have to worship properly. We have to sing. And when we sing, let's sing. When we pray, let's pray. 
When we eat the Lord's Supper, let's realize what that's for. When we give, let's give as God has prospered us and not give Him the leftovers. We have to be able to arm ourselves with these characteristics and put on the whole armor of God. Paul said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not being ashamed. And when we commit ourselves, that's also being mentally changed. We have to commit. We have to be all in or all out, right? Jesus doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to be hot or cold. He wants us to be hot. We have to commit. Foremost, foremost, we must be faithful. You remember what David said? David said, Psalm 101.3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. He was going to strive to remain faithful. Does that mean he was perfect? Absolutely not. David made mistakes. But he was still committed to God. And he worked through those mistakes. We have to do that, right? We have to be able to do that. When we, when we look at the things that God wants us to do, we have to be willing to do those things. As we think in our minds, so are we, right? That's what the wise man said. Philippians 4.11, we have to follow the admonitions of Paul because he taught what Christ taught. He said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. See, I have to live within my life. But I have to live it according to God. And in that I can be content. Change isn't always easy. But we must change. We have to change emotionally. We have to change mentally. But there's also another change I want us to notice. This is our third and final point. We must change physically. How do we do that? And exactly what are we talking about? Well, first of all, I have to be physically present. I have to come together when the saints assemble, right? Bible study, Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship. I come during the midweek. Why? It's important. But why is it important? Now, does that mean when a Christian is sick, he has to come dragging in and infect everybody else and and sit there being sick the whole time? No, he needs to be caring for himself, right? What about on the occasion that something comes up through no fault of our own and we just can't get here? You know, on occasion... In my past, I've had to work on a Sunday morning. Now that was the exception, not the rule. But I would come on Sunday night. Maybe something came up and then we just simply couldn't physically get to the building to assemble with the saints. Does God understand that? Sure He does. Sure He understands that because you've been committed to what He wants. But under normal circumstances, I have to be present. But why? Notice what the writer of Hebrews said. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice of sin. Here's the problem. When we're absent, how can we encourage change in our brethren? How can we exhort our brethren 
to change? How can we edify our brethren so they can change if we're never around? We talked this morning in, in, in class about the great fellowship and love we ought to have for one another. We ought to miss that when it's absent. When we look around, someone can't be here, that's hurtful to us. We miss them, don't we? But we have to change physically. We have to be present. But we also may have to change, physically speaking, the people we're around, right? We may have to change that. Paul said, be not, con- be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners or good morals. I can't hang out with the dregs of society and participate with them in their sin. Now, I need to communicate with them. I need to reach out to them. I need to reach out to anyone in sin, try to bring them into light. But I can't participate with them in their sin. I can't fellowship that. So I may have to change that a little bit. We have to monitor our circumstances, right? We have to be sure that I'm not placing myself in danger. What about the things I watch on TV? The kind of music I listen to? The way I dress? Things like that. So I have to change. Is music wrong? No, I love music. Is it wrong to watch TV? No, I hope not. I like to watch the ball game every once in a while. But can I watch things that are filthy or indecent? Paul said this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. See, lasciviousness uh, describes something that is lewd or lustful. Lust is an illegal desire. I can't have that, right? We can't be preoccupied or exhibit lustfulness. I have to be careful. I can't, I can't live like the world. I can't do that. I can't take into my body things that are sinful. I can't drink alcohol. I can't use illicit drugs. I can't do those things. Notice what Solomon said. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I've got to be careful. I have to change physically sometimes. Change isn't always easy, but we must change. And the Bible's full of examples of change, isn't it? We have to ask the question, not can I change, but will I change? I can't make a statement, can I change? I have to say I can change, because that's what God wants. And we begin that process by changing emotionally, then we change mentally, and then we change physically. And that's what God wants for us to do. If you're here today and you haven't changed according to God, if you've never obeyed the gospel, we talked about how to do that. Repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living, that is the road to heaven. If you've done that yet you have become unfaithful, Sometimes we slip up and we stumble and we fall, but because of the great fellowship we have with each other and with God, we'll have a helping hand to help us up. If you'll repent and confess of that sin, if in a public way, do it publicly. But if it's a private sin that has separated you from God, go to Him privately. Whatever the case may be, if you're subject to this Lord's invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.